We cannot alter the covenant. We can only receive it or reject it. We do have the ability to walk away from it, but we cannot break it because we didn't make it with the Father. Jesus did. Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church Podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor Podcast features Sunday Sermon. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. So if you were here with us two weeks ago, you know that we began a new series simply on the covenant, right? And, and I realized by conversations with a lot of you guys that there's people in this room today that, that you have a really firm grasp on the covenant. You operate from it. You live from it. And I'm telling you, as your pastor, it's very easy to see that you do so. And, and, but there's also other people in the room that they are, that I guess they fall in the line of what we find in Ephesians 2.12 that simply says this, that you are strangers to the covenant. In other words, you don't really know what it is. You've never heard it. And, uh, and I just want to tell you today, not to, that's not to beat you up, but simply to encourage you. And this is a weird word, but I feel like the Lord wants to use it. I feel like the Lord has a treat for you in the upcoming weeks. And what I mean by that is this, is because the subjects like God's faithfulness, God's uh, provision and God's, uh, you know, protection, that God's unconditional love, His kindness, even the gospel itself is about to come alive to you like you've never experienced before in your life. And the reason is, is because you're going to begin to see that everything that God has done and is doing for you is off the basis of covenant. Amen. So, so listen, as we begin to unpack this, I realize that uh, the word covenant for the most part is, uh, you, you know, listen, we all know that it's kind of lost its meaning. It's kind of lost its significance in the present society we live in. And the reason is, is because so many of us, we understand contract and that's how we operate with people off a written contract. But Listen, in biblical times, we know that that wasn't the case. In fact, we know that the Bible uh, speaks a covenant language, and it, and it operates completely through covenant. I could go more into that, but time's sake, I won't. But, but listen, the, when it comes to covenant in the Bible, we, we know that covenant was viewed as a sacred act uh, that involved three things. It involved commitment, it involved uh, faithfulness, and it involved loyalty even to death. And so when you tag on that last part that, that if you made covenant with someone, if you broke that covenant, that you were literally going to die, obviously with that mindset made you approach covenant uh, uh, not too lightly, right? And so, listen, because of what we know in the covenant, uh, in the far as the biblical form of it, it is typically defined as this. That biblical covenant, covenant simply defines this, an agreement between God and his people in which he made binding promises based off his unconditional love. An agreement between God and his people in which he has made binding promises based off his unconditional love. So this morning, for example, how can we begin to ask God and thank God for healing our bodies? Because the Bible says that God has made binding promises with us that he would heal us. Amen. So, so listen, as we consider this subject of the covenant, it's important for us to understand that the Bible that, that we read, the Bible that we have in our hands so often is this, is that that, that thing is divided into two parts. Uh, we commonly refer to those two parts as the Old Testament and the New Testament. But a better, more accurate translation of that would have been the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Now, this is important. Here's the difference. The old covenant is the covenant that God made with Israel at Mount Sinai through Moses. It's called the Mosaic Covenant. 
And this covenant is centered around the law, what you and I tend to refer to as the Ten Commandments that's found in Exodus chapter 20. So it was centered around the law and this, and the sacrificial system where lambs, bulls, goats were offered up as sacrifice by the priest once a year for the atonement or the covering of their sins. That literally they would do this. Watch this. The high priest would literally roll through town with a wheelbarrow, and, and people would write down their sins and throw it in the wheelbarrow, and he would take that into, in essence, the Holy of Holies and ask for forgiveness. It's really key to understand that when it comes to that old covenant, God never intended for that system uh, to be the final solution for man's sin. But it is necessary because what it is, it trained people to understand that, look, one day you are ultimately going to need a sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins. So therefore, watch this. At the core of the old covenant, it is symbolic in nature. It is symbolic in nature, meaning that all the sacrifices, all the festivals, the meals, and even the articles in the tabernacle, they all serve, don't miss this word, as signs or shadows and types that ultimately pointed to the coming of Jesus and the new covenant he would establish with you and I. Y'all follow me today? Listen, as an example, two weeks ago we said this. We said that every covenant uh, consists of seven things, okay? And they were this. We'll throw them up on the screen. That there was a covenant representative. There was a covenant oath. There was a covenant promise. There was a covenant sacrifice, a covenant seal, a covenant meal, and a covenant memorial. The reason these seven components are important is because we know all seven of these are not only found in Old Testament pattern of covenant making, but once again, they all point as a sign to Jesus who is the mediator, somebody say mediator, mediator, of the new covenant. So watch this. Therefore, listen, the way that we look at these seven components of a, of a covenant through the lens of shadow and type, this is actually how they would, they would look. So watch this. Uh, the representative is the life of Jesus. The oath is his word. The promise is his provision. The sacrifice is his blood. The seals that the seal is his scar and his spirit. The mill is his communion, and the memorial is his cross. Y'all tracking? So, so listen. As you see, every component of the covenant is significant because it was designed by God to reveal to every one of us the purpose of his son's coming. And not only reveal the purpose of his son's coming, but it also reveals to you and I the purpose of his death, burial, and resurrection, right? So let me give you two scriptures, just kind of back this up out of Hebrews so we can be tracking in the word. And if you, if you got some time this week, I would encourage you to go read the book of Hebrews. It'll help you understand all this better. So Hebrews chapter eight says this. It says, if he, talking about Jesus, were here on the earth. In other words, if he was still living on the earth, he would not even be a priest. Since there already are priests who over offer, sorry, the gifts required by the law. Let me tell you why he wouldn't be a priest. Be because he doesn't operate in that old system anymore. All right. Verse five, it says they serve in a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. But now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a better covenant with God based on better promises. In other words, as good as the Old Testament was, man, this is better. Somebody say better. better. Hebrews 9 says this. says, so Christ has now become the high priest 
over all the good things that have come. He has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven, which was not made by human hands and is not part of this created world, which his own blood, with his own blood, not the uh, blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, we know that's the old covenant, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifers could cleanse people's bodies for ceremonial, ceremonial impurity. In other words, it was temporary. Says, just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our conscience from sinful deeds. Why? So that we can worship the living God. In other words, it releases all the guilt and shame, all that, and so we can actually be free to worship the Lord. It says, for by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people. Get that. That's so huge that he mediates a new covenant between God and people. So that all who are called can receive the internal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under the first covenant. It's a good reading. I know you probably need to read that about 50 times to get it, but go read it. All right. So, so watch this really quick. Along with those two passages of scripture, here's what I want to do. I want to circle back today and I want to revisit uh, the first component of the covenant. And that's simply the representative. And the reason I want to revisit that, revisit that is because it will show us and help us get a better grasp on, uh, on why or how Jesus became the mediator of the new covenant. So do you guys understand? Mediator just simply means this. It means basically someone who is willing to intervene between two parties. Okay? So it's between us and God. All right? Watch this. Uh, to best illustrate the significance of a representative, what I want to do is I want to actually go back into the Old Testament. And I want to visit the most famous battle that's in the Old Testament. And it, and it actually was a battle that happened in the Valley of Elah. And, and it didn't happen between uh, two armies. It actually happened between two people. Now understand, we're talking about the representative here. And those two individuals was David and Goliath. So let, let's set the scene here really quick. We'll throw a picture up for you. This is the Valley of, of, of Elah. So it's, obviously you see it's a broad valley, and it uh, stretches out. That's actually over a mile wide, and it's actually divided by a stream in the middle. That's important to the story, right? So, so listen, when the Philistines declared uh, war on the Israelites in 1 Samuel chapter 17, this is basically where King Saul gathered up his army, the army of Israel, and, and he gathered them up to go to war with the Philistines. Now, naturally, both armies, uh, you know, we didn't put it up there, but both armies set up camp on opposite hillsides in preparation for war. In other words, you take high ground. Now, here's where things get interesting, Okay. After the two armies formed rank, the Bible says that a champion from the Philistine army named Goliath stepped out and he suggested a, a tactic commonly used in the Eastern world, and it is known as this, the representative battle. That's what it's actually called, which was simply this, a one-on-one -on -one fight where he, Goliath, would represent the Philistine army and whoever King Saul chose would represent the Israelite army. The, the reason they would do this was obviously it, it, it you know, there was a whole lot less bloodshed, and, and obviously the, 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 you know, the situation, the circumstance would be resolved uh, much quicker, right? So let's take a look real quick at how the Bible puts this. 1 Samuel 17. If you can, take off your children's ministry glasses and hear this anew, okay? It says, Goliath stood and shouted to the battle lines of Israel, saying to them, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not the Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Watch this. Choose a man. 
Choose a representative, right? For yourselves and have him come down to me if he is able to fight with me, once again, the representative of the Philistines, and kill me, watch this, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. High stakes, right? Verse 10 says, again, the Philistines said, I defy the battle lines of, the, of Israel this day. Give me a man so that we may fight together. Now, how does Saul and his army respond to this suggested tactic? Look at verse 24. Most of you guys know the story. It says, when all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. Now, bottom line, we can all laugh at them, but truthfully, who could blame them? Theologians tell us that this guy was uh, nine feet and nine inches tall. That's three inches shy of a basketball goal. That's a big old dude, right? And they say this, that he wore uh, bronze armor that weighed up to 200 pounds. That, that's like going to fight with a, a full-grown man strapped to your chest, right? And it says that he, that he carried a javelin that had an iron tip of, of, you know, that weighed 25 pounds. I'm thinking, you know, I might be able to throw 25 pounds, I don't know, 10 feet, something like I don't know what it is, right? I probably can't get it too far. I got chicken wings, right? So, so to throw it, but, but if this dude took, I mean, he's got to be a monster to sling that thing, you know, I don't know, 40, 50 yards and, you know, try to hopefully pin somebody in the chest with it. Who said the Bible's not fun? So listen, I don't know about you, but the last time I checked when someone is known as a champion and I'll put in there as an undefeated champion, right? How many of you guys know that carries quite the reputation? Yeah. yeah. So listen, and if that was enough, uh, you know, he had a fellow Philistine who was known as a shield bearer who actually carried a shield that was the size of a human being, right? A full-grown man. He would carry it and he would run out in front of, of uh, Goliath. So the, the idea is here, before you even get to Goliath, you got to go through that fellow, right? So, so listen, say King Saul and his men were intimidated it might be a bit of an understatement. Can I get a well? Y'all know how we do it. I said, it's well. All right, anyways. So watch this. Here's the wild part, okay? I kind of sell that say this, that, that this scene of Goliath stepping out, uh, you know, from the Philistine battle line to suggest a one-on-one fight, you know, that concluded with King Saul and his men tucking their tails, running to their tents. That didn't happen once. It, it actually happened twice a day, once in the morning, once in the evening for almost six weeks. Right. And we won't go there in a minute. But if you continue to read the story, it actually says that he began to come up and begin to uh, basically declare his chance, which means he came from one hillside screaming and he got so brave, he crossed the stream and he began to come up to the other side because he knew they were so scared, in essence, getting in their face and challenging them. Right. So watch this. Now, we know why this was going on in the Valley of Elah. We know about 10 to 15 miles away uh, up in the Judea mountains. We all know that here's this young guy, who, young teenager, too young to be a part of the army. We know his name's David. And uh, because he was too young, basically it came a point where his dad said, hey, look, boy, can you go check on your three older brothers, see how they're doing? So fast forward in the story. Uh, in obedience to his father's wishes, watch this. David shows up in the Valley of Elah just in time to hear the morning challenge and insults from Goliath. Now, remember while, while uh, you know, the army of Israel had witnessed this, witnessed this scene for weeks, this was David's first time to hear it. And uh, so in response, David did what you and I would do, look down the battle line, right? And wonder who was the brave soul that was going to go out there and challenge Big Ugly, right? And so... <laughs> 
And listen, instead of, instead of seeing one of Israel's great warriors stepping out to meet Goliath, he saw a bunch of men shaking in their boots. And it didn't take him too long, don't miss this, to realize that Israel did not have someone to represent them. Right? So think about it for a moment. That morning, here's young David, right? He woke up early, left his sheep with another shepherd, and he did exactly what his father did. He took the bread and the cheese, and he took it to his brothers and the leaders. And, and here's the idea. He wasn't going there to fight. Right? It wasn't even on his mind. But when he heard Goliath's threats, what did he do? I'm game. He volunteered, right? Now, obviously, there's this essence that clearly David's destiny and opportunity collided that day. We get that, right? But, but, but obviously, you, you know, here's this young guy said, man, I'll go fight this guy. Fast forward in the story again. They, they, bring, they bring him in front of King Saul, and he's standing there, and King Saul kind of looks him over, and he, and he goes... Uh, man, I, I don't really think you're the best option to go fight that guy, right? But, but don't miss this, okay? But in spite of what King Saul thought, watch this, he could not, historically, he could not refuse David's right to be a representative. Because by the very what? Hebrew blood that ran through his veins, David was qualified to be the representative of Israel. To be a representative, he had to be part of the family, okay? So, so watch this, uh, you know, just a thought here. Can you imagine, whatever, we're six weeks into this thing, and then the news starts running down the line, hey, we got somebody to represent, it, represent us. Can you imagine the atmosphere change? Now, maybe it's kind of funny, but I don't know. It's like I wonder when they saw David step out, <laughs> if that atmosphere changed. <laughs> you, you know, and you can almost see the Philistines over there. <laughs> Easy, right? Yeah, anyways. All right, so watch this. Coming back in the covenant mindset, listen, this might be hard for us to wrap our Western minds around, but watch this. When it came time for David to face Goliath, I believe this. I believe he heard it in the morning, and then at the evening taunt, he said, okay, let's go get some. Okay, so I believe he mentally, in essence, prepared for the day. And, and so watch this. The moment he stepped out of the battle line to walk down to the Valley of Allah to face Goliath, he ceased to be a private citizen of Israel. Please don't miss this. Because as a representative, all of Israel, all of Israel, present and not present, right, was now in David. His victory would become their victory. His defeat would become their defeat. Literally, that the future, uh, that the future quality of the life of Israel was hanging in the balance of a teenager, yeah. right? Because remember what Goliath said. He said this. Uh, he goes, look, if your boy loses, you guys become our slaves, how many of you guys want to throw a teenager out there for you on that one? I love you teenagers, but don't sign me up for that one. All right, so anyways, so let's pick up the story here. 1 Samuel 17, I love you teenagers. Sorry if that hurt your feelings. Don't leave a church hurt today. All right, here we go. 1 Samuel chapter 17, watch this. It says, Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer. I'm only reading this because it's just a fun read, all right? It's like if you're a dude, if you don't get excited with reading this, check your pulse. Give your man card back, right? All right, here we go. <clears throat> it said, Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at, his, at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. 
I've got another translation rolling in my head. Defied, today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. I love that. And everyone assembled here, there, will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle. Listen, if you're here today, can I just tell you, some of y'all that really want to pray earlier, it's the Lord's battle. Receive, it's the Lord's battle. Amen? It says, and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David ran quickly out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in, and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from his sheath. There's a sermon in that. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout. I love that. Gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them. And we know basically they slaughtered them. Blah, 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 blah. We'll move forward. All right. So listen, uh, here's the final thing I want us to see in this. Y'all awake? I want you to notice that after David had killed Goliath, the Bible says in verse 52, then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph. Don't miss this. Listen, that David literally cut off Goliath's head, and from behind him, he hears this massive roar as the army of Israel begins to shout for a victory to which they had contributed nothing, <laughs> literally nothing to except six weeks of cowardice. Right? But watch this. Here's what's crazy, yet they were correct to do so. Listen, because as the representative, David's actions and achievements became their actions and achievements. It was their victory because they were in David. Therefore, they shared in his victory as if it was their own. So y'all look at me and smile. Some of y'all look like you, 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 you're sad. Look, look, it's good news. So remember what we said the other day for all you Patriots fans. Right. We won the Super Bowl. And you never step foot in Gillette Stadium. Right? And so, li listen, what happens is we have, in my opinion, the greatest military in the world. Right? They go and they fight. And guess what we say? We won. Right? Why? Because they represent us. No different the way New England, in essence, New England Patriots represents all of New England. That's our team, y'all's team. It's our team, right? Roll Tide. Right? Roll Tide. Right? We won. Yes. Are y'all with me today? Yes? All right. So watch this. Let's shift gears and uh, give me 15. We'll get out of here. Listen, for the next few minutes, I, I, wanna, I want us to quickly flip this and I want us to see how this concept of the representative actually applies to our personal lives. Because if it's just some cute Bible story and it doesn't land in us, then there's no need to go through it. Right? So in short, listen to this. We all know that Romans 5 tells us that when Adam sinned in the garden, that not only after that, obviously that he was the, I'll just go ahead and say this, that he was the, uh, he was the original man's representative. Why? Because in the seed of Adam was all of mankind. He represented all of us. Okay, so when Adam sinned in the garden, uh, you know, not only did sin enter the world, but every person after that, guess what, was born separated from God. And here's one thing I just love about Jesus. Uh, thankfully, this separation did not stop, listen, God's radical love agenda for us. Amen. That in other words, that he still wanted to forgive us of our sins. He still wanted to reconcile us back to right relationship. He still wanted to bring us back 
back to the very reason he created us, and that was to know us. Amen? Not to know church, not to know religion, but to know him. Amen? So listen, so what did he do? We said it earlier, he implemented a sacrificial system under the covenant that he made with Moses, and he gave a way basically for people to have their sins covered, atoned for, once again, for a short period of time so they could interact with him. But once again, as we stated earlier, this was not the final solution that he had made to redeem all man. Okay, watch this, where it's about to get good. For lack of a better word, so here we are, we're stuck in the old covenant. And for lack of a better word, there was a problem in bringing uh, man back into restoration or right standing with God. And, and so here's the deal, watch this. Here's the problem. If a covenant is between two parties, right, and each party has its representative, how could a covenant between God and man take place when on the human side of the equation, guess what? We were our sinful, unfaithful, and we love darkness more than light. Can I get a whale? Okay. So listen, even in this sense, how can God make a covenant with us when we didn't even know there was a covenant to be made? Right? So, so what happens is, to put it plainly, I'll just say it this way, that in essence there was no man on earth that was without sin, thus qualified enough to stand for, before God as our representative. Yeah. Amen? So watch this. I believe this, is, this knowledge is what led Job to say this in Job 9 verse 32. Yeah, thanks. It says, if only there was a mediator. Think about Paul. Say, I mean, Job is saying this. He's understanding this dilemma that we're in. He says, if only there was a mediator, if only there was a go-between, uh, for lack of better words, if only there was a bridge builder that could bring both of us back together and give us some peace. Right? So if only there was a mediator between us, who's us, between God and mankind, if only there was someone who could bring us together. Watch this. Don't miss this. God knew if such a covenant was going to take place, if you're taking notes, write this down, then it would have to be an unilateral approach. What in the world does that mean? A unilateral approach, meaning that God knew if a covenant was going to be accomplished, he would have to initiate it. This should make you really thankful today, guys. In other words, that here's God, who is what we call in the covenant language, that he is the greater one, and he makes the decision to approach the lesser one, us, to make covenant with us. It's incredible, right? Now, to understand, watch this. Everybody look here. Don't, don't get bored on me. That as a greater one, when he comes into covenant with a lesser one, do you understand at that moment that the greater one says, all that I have and all that I am is at your, it's at your disposal? Yeah. Amen? That's good news. So listen, God also knew if he was going to initiate this covenant, then it would require a mediator, someone who, watch this, could not only represent God, represent him, heaven, the perfection of heaven, but someone who could also represent us, represent mankind before God. Watch this. For this to happen, God knew if that person uh, was going to be capable of representing us, then he couldn't do it from afar. Right? He would need to do it. Uh, he would need to be one who is willing to come close, someone who is willing to strip himself of his divine rights uh, so that he could what? Become fully human, not subject to Adam's sin. Right? I'm giving you good doctrine here. Okay, Listen, in that sense, this mediator had to experience the limitations of this human flesh. He had to know what it meant to be hungry and thirsty. He had to know what it meant to feel the grief of betrayal, abandonment, and loss. He had to be one what, that was acquainted with the pain and suffering that comes from being physically and verbally abused. 
Are y'all with me? In short, in short this, he would need to know us if he was going to represent us. Because going back to what we talked about last week, if, you know, once again, even David, how could David represent? He knew that's his people. Right. For someone to represent you, they need to know you. I, I even say it like this. OK, um, a mediator, an advocate, a lawyer. Right. Would you want a lawyer who didn't really know you, who really didn't know your case to go present, you know, hey, this before the people? Some of y'all would, I guess. No, you wouldn't. Right. So watch this. But most importantly, this mediator had to be tempted in every way, yet without sin. He would need to say yes to God and no to the devil every step of the way. In other words, he would need to be the one who succeeded where Adam failed. Right. And the reason this is important is because the representative at the end of the day, watch this, that he would have to be able to freely and willingly lay down his life as a sacrifice. Can I blow your mind really quick? Do you understand that? And y'all don't, don't send me no email on this one later, all right? But, but do you realize that because Jesus was born of a virgin, right, that he, he, there was no male seed, right? The Holy Spirit is the one that, in essence, impregnated uh, Mary, right? So he was born uh, without a sin nature, in essence, right? So, so watch this. Do you realize that when Adam sinned in the garden, that's when death came? And because he wasn't born of Adam, he was born of the Father, then Jesus would have never died unless he laid down his life. Right. So so to understand, it's not necessarily a sacrifice if, you know, I'm going to die one day anyway. No, 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 no. He, he laid down his life. willfully. The Bible says no man could take it. Right. Are you all with me today? So watch this. Obviously, to this one, the Apostle Paul wrote First Timothy two, five, it says, for there is one God and one mediator, one go between between God and men, that man, that representative, Christ Jesus. So grab a hold of this. We're almost done. Do you realize that 14 generations after David killed Goliath, the one who is the seed of David, Jesus Christ, the God-man, the one who could represent God and the human race at the same time, was born in a small village of Bethlehem, right, the city of David, to not only defeat the greatest Goliath that ever lived, which is Satan, but he also was born to become a representative and a mediator of the new covenant for us. So for time's sake, watch this, we're going to throw this up here. Yeah, l- listen, if, I'm going to give you like a few takeaways. If you don't hear anything today, take this with you because it's going to help you, okay? It may be wordy, but grab a hold of it. The, the most basic truth we have to understand is the new covenant, watch this, is not made with us as individuals. It is a covenant that is made between God the Father and God the Son, The Father guaranteed the divine side of the covenant, and the Son guarantees the human side, having taken our humanity as us and for us. Remember, we were in Christ, right? Therefore, the new covenant is beyond our ability to break. We can't, listen to me, we cannot alter the covenant. We can only receive it or reject it. We do have the ability to walk away from it, but we cannot break it because we didn't make it with the Father. Jesus did. What, watch this. The reason I'm telling you all that, everybody look here, please, is because, listen, every person in this room is a human. And every person in this room has a bad day. And every person in this room has thought at one point or another in condemnation that everything that's, of, that's been promised us of the covenant is no longer available to us because we had a bad day. Wrong. It wasn't made with you. It was made with Jesus. Right? He is the spotless, sinless one. And because, guess what? He lives in that position. The covenant cannot be broken. That's really great news. Now, 
Now, let me, let me give you a balance here. Notice that obviously we, we cannot alter this covenant because it has nothing to do with us, right? But watch this. So we as a position can either receive Jesus and what he did or we can reject him. But notice that we can, by our lifestyles, walk away from the covenant. So, so listen, you, you know, it's really foolish to sit back in your life and live like the devil and then still ask God to move for you. You, you can't because you're walking away from the covenant. Right, because every covenant has, uh, once again, binding promises that we all have to do our part and God does his part. Am I making sense? In other words, there's a way it functions. All right, let me give you another thing, okay? Just another takeaway. In the same way when David cut off Goliath's head and from behind him, once again, we know we heard, they heard that massive roar of the army of Israel that they began to shout for the victory, once again, in which they did not contribute anything for. Uh, guess what? We, too, today have a reason to shout for the victory that Jesus has won for us. Right? We sang it earlier, right? Listen, when Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave, he did so as our representative. Once again, we were in him. Therefore, guess what? When he won, we won. Listen, his achievements became our achievements. So guess what? So now we have the covenantal right to share in the victory of it as our own, right? That's why the Bible says this, thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph. Why? Because it's not our victory. It's his victory. Last thing, listen, this victory means this. Take this and put it in your pocket and apply it later, okay? Listen, the victory, this victory means that we don't have to live in defeat. We don't have to live in fear, or in bondage, or doubt, or poverty, or sickness, or addiction, torment, depression, insecurity, stronghold, confusion, shame, guilt, condemnation. Once again, Jesus defeated all of that force at the cross, right? So watch this. So in him, guess what? We get to live in the fullness of heaven. Either we believe that or we don't believe that. But watch this. Last thing, okay? So I'm just going to give you a few. Last thing, we're out of here. It is. It's quick. What, watch this. <laughs> We're good. I'm, I'm doing good. Listen, um, do you understand that just as Jesus came and he represented, right, represented heaven in essence to us? Guess what? The Bible says that, guess what? We now represent him in this world. Yes. Yes. Am I making sense to you all? And, and so, listen, we, 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 we would be poor representatives if we don't realize what we're representing. Am I making sense, you guys? So, so listen, listen. I know y'all been taught y'all's whole life that you really don't need to study the Bible. Just read your little devotion and feel good, right? <laughs> listen, you got to know the book, guys. This is our covenant that we have with God. There's promises that are alive in here that God has bound himself to. We would be foolish not to know those things. Amen? Amen. Stand to your feet, please. Amen. All right. I just want to pray a scripture that we started with last week. It says in Psalm 25, 14, it says once again, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. That actually means the friendship, once again, of the Lord is with those who honor him, right, and revere him. And then it says this, that he will show them his covenant. That's our goal over the next weeks. God, that you would unveil, doesn't matter if you're 15 years old in this room or if you're eight in this room, if you're 80 years in this room, that God wants to reveal to you his covenant. Amen? Amen. Can y'all believe with faith for that for me, please? Because I believe it'll help you. Amen? So, Father, thank you for today. Lord, just as your people today, Lord, we thank you for the covenant 
that you and Jesus made on our behalf. And Father, we're so encouraged today that we can't break it. God, that we can't mess it up. All we get to do is just walk in it and enjoy it because you're a good God and you love us. So Father, today we thank you for your unconditional love. We thank you that Jesus is our mediator and that he continues to stand before the Father and make intercession for us as our mediator, as our advocate. And so Lord, we just pray today, God, that you would open up our hearts and you would open up our minds to understand everything that you've given us in your word that you've made available available to us through the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. God, would you help all this come alive in us? In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.